0: Thanks for listening in today to our Sunday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we will be continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Soon your trials will be over.
1: Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be here this morning, starting in verse 17. We have just seen Jesus heal the leper, and so we're going to see him heal a paralyzed man today. And so it says here in verse 17, Now, it happened on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Now, according to Luke's gospel, we don't know where he is when he is teaching. Is he out in the open? Is he... Uh, you know, in someone's house, where is he? Well, in Mark, it tells us. It says in Mark chapter two, verse one, it says, "And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house." Okay, so uh, give it up for Jesus. Jesus is in the house, you know. And so it says, "Immediately, many gathered together, so that they, that there were no longer room to receive them, not even near the door." And he preached the word to them. Well, in Capernaum or Capernaum, however you pronounce that. Uh, Jesus would stay at Peter's, Simon Peter's house. That's where he healed his mother-in-law. And so most likely that is where he is when this is taking place. And so he's in a house here, and the people that are in the house are the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, according to Luke 5, and they're the ones who had come from every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and they're the ones that are sitting there. They're the ones that have the good seats there in the house. And it says there, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. To heal who? We know that there are more people there than just them because the place is crowded. You can't get in according to Mark's gospel that people are are outside uh, there in the doorway looking in and and things like that. So the whole town is kind of out at this house. But it's the um, Pharisees and the teachers of the law that have the good seats there. Uh, And he has the power to heal them. To heal who? I would submit to you that he's speaking mostly here of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He has the power to heal them, but as we go through this, what we're going to find out is that, yes, but you have to have an ear to hear. You have to be receptive to the words of Jesus Christ. And so they're not going to be healed of what? Their spiritual blindness is what they're not going to be healed from. And so we're going to see this as we continue through this account here. Now, no doubt they're from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem. Uh, One of the responsibilities of the Sanhedrin, uh, which is uh, 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 70 Uh, of scribes and Pharisees uh, that get together in this council is that they need to go and investigate any sort of prophet from God to make sure that they're orthodox and and then they will deal with any false prophet. And so no doubt with everything that Jesus has been doing and saying and teaching, they are now here to find out for themselves as they find out that Jesus is there um, in the house. And so it says in verse 18, Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find out how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling in the midst before Jesus. Now, we need to understand that in the life of Israel, um, it was very, very public. In the life of Israel, when you go through uh, Israel, when you go through the townships, when you're there in Capernaum or any other place around Galilee, as well as in Jerusalem, um, these houses that they would have, that when the door is open in the morning, what that means is it's an open invitation for anyone to come by and just stop by and, and to have fellowship and things like that. The door was never shut unless a man deliberately just wished for privacy. So an open door meant an open invitation for all to come. And so and then the rooftop of one of these uh, housing units would normally be flat. It was regularly used as a place of rest and quiet. Uh, In the really hot months, many would go up on the roof after dark and sleep while there were still cool breezes at night. So all the houses would have this outside stairwell that would lead up to the roof. We see this as we're going through 1 Samuel on Wednesday night. We saw that... um, Samuel himself brings Saul, it says, to the top of the roof. And they spent the night there and, and Samuel was there teaching Saul all the things about the kingdom, uh, all about the things of God and that he is going to be the next king and things like that. He did that on the rooftop of his home. And so we see this as being the way that, that they lived back then. As a matter of fact, if you go with Israel to, uh, with us to Israel, you're going to see the same thing as we go into these townships. You're going to still see these flat roofs. And that's where they entertain. It's kind of like their balcony. That's where they go to entertain and have fellowship. And so even to this day, it is like that. The roof itself would consist of these flat beams that are laid across from wall to wall about three feet apart. And then they would put brushwood and pack in clay tightly between the beams. And sometimes grass would actually grow on the roof. And so to dig out the brushwood and clay would be a very easy thing to do, and it would take no time at all for them to lower a man on a pallet through the beams on the roof. And so you can imagine, as Jesus is teaching there, that all of a sudden they hear this commotion above them. And, and as they're bringing all the brushwood out and, and all the clay and grass that might be up there, as they're pulling that all up and, and trying to pull a beam apart or something like that, you know that there is debris falling down. And who do you think it's falling down on? The ones that are seated and have the really good seats. It's not only falling on the, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of law, but it's falling upon Jesus himself. Now remember, Jesus was a son of a carpenter, which means he was a carpenter himself. Jesus knows what it's like to get dirty. He knows what it's like to get dirt under his fingernails. He knows what it's like to sweat and to labor. He knows what it's like. But you know who doesn't know what that's like? The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the ones that are in the very nice garments, that are sitting there looking so proud and pompous, going, teach us something, teacher. And all of a sudden, the dust and the dirt and debris starts falling on them, and they're probably very, very put out right now. But you know who isn't put out? You know who isn't indignant like they are? Jesus. I guarantee you, he's looking up and he is just smiling from ear to ear. He is just smiling. And so first you see this debris falling and all of a sudden a hand pokes through and the hole widens and you see a couple of faces looking down on you and the hole widens a little bit further. And the next thing you know, this, this pallet's coming down, you know, on a rope and, and they're laying this man right before Jesus. He must have been delighted, Jesus. The love that these friends must have had to bring their friend to Jesus. The conviction in their heart of knowing, I've heard of other prophets from God, but nothing like this man can do. And they were convicted. And they were persistent. Think about that. They go to bring their their friend and they can't even get through the doorway. If ever there was a time when people should have said, oh, let this guy through because he needs to be healed and we want to see Jesus heal this paralyzed man. But they didn't. The crowd was so intense and so wrapped around this household or any sort of portal that they could look in to see Jesus, they couldn't even get through. And yet they were persistent and they decided to go up on the roof and then they were creative. And they said, let's put a hole in the roof and we're going to lower you down that way. That's very creative. And so they do that. And I'm here to tell you, it was also very sacrificial. It really did cost them something. They could have gone to the house and gone, we can't get in and bring him home. But instead, they persevered. And so they carried him up on the roof. It wasn't that easy. And then they had to pull apart the roof. And then they had to lower him down. And I guarantee you there's something else they would have had to do when this whole episode is over. They would have had to been the ones who repaired the roof. So it cost them something. It wasn't easy. When you bring your friends to the Lord, it isn't supposed to be easy. It's not easy at all. And so it says here that when he saw their faith, he said to them, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Now I'm going to submit something to you here. I'm pretty much sure that's not what the man wanted to hear as he falls right there before Jesus' feet and they place him there and Jesus is looking down on him and he's smiling. The guy's probably smiling back. And then Jesus says, I have good news for you. Your sins are forgiven. And he's probably gone, and? From this paralyzed man's point of view, Jesus didn't quite say enough. But from the Pharisee's point of view, oh, he said plenty, and we've heard enough. That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Who does he think he is that he gets to say your sins are forgiven you? Now, also remember this, that during this time... The Pharisees and the scribes, the the, the teachers of the law, believed that if you had some debilitating illness, some sickness and disease, it was because you have done something wrong against God and God has judged you. That's why you're a leper. That's why you are paralyzed. That's why you have that malady and illness and sickness that's leading to death is because you have angered God and he is judging you. And so if God has judged you and is not showing you any compassion or mercy, then why should we? So that's why they treat him. If God has forgiven you of your sin, then he will heal you. And that's how we'll know. And that's how we'll bring you back in to the fellowship of faith, the community of faith. But because he hasn't done that, and he's mad and angry, and he doesn't have any compassion, then neither will we. And so for Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven you, they're thinking, blasphemy. According to Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16, that is worthy of death. And they're now going, we got him. He's blasphemous. He's blasphemous. And then it says, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk. So there's some time going by here where now the focus is on the Pharisees. To which, you know, the paralyzed man is just going, hey, 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 let's get back to me here. And now Jesus is having this dialogue with the Pharisees that are going, you can't do that, and I know what you're thinking. And he says, I know the reason in your hearts, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk. I love this. They think he has no right to forgive sins. But he says in verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, departed to his own house, glorifying God. You think? He would have picked up his bed. He would have been just going, hallelujah, look at this. He's giving high fives as he's going out. He's probably going, booyah, like that to people as he's going back, boom, boom doing the little bomb thing with the fist pump. I mean, he is going through and he wants to go home and he wants to tell everybody, look at me. Whoa. Yeah, he's excited. Yeah, he's glorifying God as he goes to his own house. And look what it says in verse 26. And they were all amazed. They glorified God. Were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. Now there's two sets of people When I first read this, I'm going, the word fear, there must be uh, phobia, which means reverence, you know, that kind of fear. It doesn't, which tells me there's two groups of people here. There are those who are glorifying God, and then there were those who are filled with fear because the word fear here is phobos. It means to be put in fear, alarm, or fright exceedingly, and terror is what it means. Exceedingly fearful and terror. Or who are the ones that are going to be feeling that? It would have been the Pharisees. It would have been the teachers of the law. Because they realize that there's a greater authority there than themselves. And that shakes them to their very core. They're filled with fear. Chapter 4, we saw Jesus come to Nazareth and go to the synagogue and, and read Isaiah 61 that speaks of the Messiah. And he says, today that has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he sits down saying, I'm the Messiah. And there was no hallelujahs or glorifying God there at all. Instead, they were filled with anger and they wanted to throw him over a cliff. And here you have the leaders uh, of of Israel, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Here, they're filled with fear. When they see Jesus do what only the Messiah can do, heal people. And later on, we're going to see them filled with rage after Jesus heals on the Sabbath. It seems to me that our attitude about Jesus seems to be Uh, predicated on what we are filled with. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to be filled with the Spirit. You're going to glorify God. If our attitude is one that does not receive Jesus as God, we're going to be filled with fear or anger or rage over the person of Jesus Christ. We don't like Him. In Mark's Gospel, it says at the end of this, it says, Immediately He rose, took up His bed, went out in the presence of them all, so all were amazed, glorifying God, saying, We never saw anything like this in their excitement. But he was cured, therefore he must be forgiven. Which means he must also be God. According to their theology, Jesus just proved himself to them. And so he heals this man. Now who had more faith here? Jesus said he was, that he saw their faith, and there means a plurality. I've often thought about this. Was it the friends who had tremendous faith and it was the paralyzed man that at this point has lost all hope and they're telling him, Jesus is coming, yeah, yeah, he's just like another prophet. He's, no, no, he can really heal. Yeah, whatever. And and maybe they had to talk him into, we're taking you. No, I don't want to go. Too bad. What are you going to (laughs) do? You know, you're paralyzed, we're not. And so we're taking you. Were they all in agreement? Were they all excited about it? When I look at the Word of God, you see real friends bring friends to Jesus. And so these guys are excited, and they want their friend to be able to meet the person of Jesus. They want him to be healed by Jesus. When, when Andrew uh, finds Jesus, the first thing he does, he gets Peter, his brother. When the Samaritan woman there at the well meets Jesus, has an encounter with Jesus, she goes back to her town and says, meet the man who has told me everything that I've ever done in my life, and brings the whole town out to him. There were no evangelism classes. We're not going to have evangelism classes here, just so you know. There's a reason for that. It's because if you really have had an encounter with Jesus Christ, you're going to tell people about it. It's not as though the Samaritan woman went back and Jesus said, hold on, you've got to fill out these forms, and then we've got to have a 10-week course so you know how to really do that. He doesn't do that. Go, you've had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and you're excited about it and you're gonna naturally want to tell people about it. That's what happens. You can pray for more boldness, you can pray for all different things, but all you have to do is tell people, just invite them to church. Ladies, invite them to the Christmas tea. If they say no, that's okay. You're not responsible for them to come. You're responsible to let them know, I'm excited about Jesus. I'm excited about the, ex- the encounter I've had. And so I just want to invite you. No, I'm not coming. Okay. But you did what you're supposed to do. And if they persecute over it, it says in, in, in Matthew 5, great is your reward in heaven for that. But you should want to continue to tell people, come to church, come to our, our Christmas tea, come to this, come to that, come to my house, come to Starbucks, it's on me. I just want to tell you how much God has changed my life. If they show up great. If they don't, that's okay. But that's what happens when you have a true encounter with the Lord. You're going to want to tell people about it. You're going to want to tell people about it. Now there is a gift of evangelism. I mean, that's a different thing altogether. Where you have this tremendous gift. My father-in-law has that gift. And by the way, he's coming here in a couple weeks, and so he's going to uh, teach for me. His name's Mike McIntosh. If you know who he is. And so I've I've wanted for the you know I've been pleading for him to come. I want to introduce him to, uh, uh, to our new fellowship that we have here, and, and I'm very excited for it. He is an evangelist. I've actually seen him basically say, Mary had a little lamb, and like hundreds of people come to the Lord. And I look at that and go, that is just silly. So elementary, I presented the God, and boom, people are crying. They're giving their lives to the Lord. I go, oh my goodness. Meanwhile, I will systematically and feel the Spirit of the Lord, and I will preach the gospel. And I said, if anybody wants to receive the Lord, raise your hand right now. And usually it's my wife, just to make me feel better. So everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Oh, God bless you back there, you know. It it just, there is a gift for that. But there's also a natural responsibility that we see in God's word that you tell people about the Lord, you just do. Because you're so thankful for what he is doing for you. And I guarantee you that paralyzed man was telling people about the Lord. What Jesus had done for him, And so there's an excitement here. But those who are in control, those are the ones who really think that they know, they're the ones that are fearful. Because it makes them uh, have to look at themselves and say, could I have been wrong this whole time? And they really don't have the courage to go beyond that. No, 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 that can't be. You know, my father was a, uh, was a pastor and this person was a pastor. And so this is what I've always been taught. And old ways are best. And this has to be the way it is. And... But they don't really see what God is doing right before their very eyes. And so he heals this man. And then we have in verse 27. And after these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Now, in Mark's account and also in Matthew's account, we're told that this man's name, who is Levi here, is Matthew. It means gift of the Lord, a gift of Yahweh. And we also know he's the son of Alphaeus, and so he apparently has a Jewish name, Levi, as well as a Galilean name, named Matthew. Um, and so Levi means that that was the tribe that he came from. He was a Levite. And so this tells me that Matthew is very much a well-hated man among his brethren. He was a Jew, and he was collecting taxes for the Jewish oppressors, the Romans. Tax collectors were very dishonest. They would charge a little bit more in order to line their own pockets, and besides that, they were in the service of the Romans, being used there in order to get taxes from their own people. And so Matthew was very much a hated man. And on top of that, he was supposed to be a priest. And he turned his back on that, being from the tribe of Levi. So he turned his back on his people and his belief in God, and he went after materialism. So he could be rich, that he could be wealthy. And so he is very much a despised Man in Israel and the Jews would not speak to him and in their eyes are thinking there's no hope for this guy when he comes before God someday and there's a special place just for him reserved in hell just for him is what they'd be thinking. If there was ever a hopeless man in Israel as a Jew this would be the guy. Here's a guy that no one wanted and yet Jesus says I want you. Come, follow me. Jesus wanted the man that no one else wanted. And I love that story. I love that story. He was a lost cause. And Jesus gives hope.
0: That completes this Sunday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Join us next Sunday as we continue our study in the Gospel of Luke. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m., and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at the 5 p.m. service on Saturday. On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our young adults ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at the church. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell gas station, right across from Starbucks. For more information about us on this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. We are so blessed you've joined us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God.